Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. Kind of a kind of an interesting week, folks. Just one week ago, we did a podcast here, uh, and one of the quirks of recording these on Fridays, Kyle, is every once in a while we're going to have two games in one week. Yeah, uh, this week, so we get to talk about two games. So two very interesting games, Kyle. So we we the last time we were here, we were we were ranting about the Bears. We we. We had given up hope, and we said, "We said, folks, we're probably not going to talk about the Bears the whole time going forward if this keeps up." But we've got two games now, and it did not keep up. Now, to be clear, um, I don't think I'm taking back anything I said about Matt Eberflus or Ryan Poles even in our last episode. They got a lot of work to do to get me to come. But there is one—I mean, there are a couple stories, I guess, that we'll talk about them all. Uh, there's one guy that we did say was also fighting for his job, a, a triumvirate of people fighting for their jobs right now in the Bears organization, Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, and Justin Fields. And I would say one of those three guys has made a real strong fucking case in the last four days. One of them, yep. one of them has, and it's not Larry Borum, it's, it, it's Justin Fields. <laughs> um, we have seen... In the last five days, we have seen this kid play with a confidence that I don't know that I have seen him put together two consecutive performances with his arm, with his arm especially, like this since Ohio State. Um, And look, fully understand everyone who's going to immediately point out that that no, these are not elite defenses. The Broncos are, in fact, maybe historically awful. Mm-hmm. But that Commanders defense is—it's feisty. Okay, they were. You think you said what? Seventeenth, seventeenth, like firmly middle of the pack. Very firmly middle, middle of the pack in DVOA. But also, they are a defense that specifically is built to be the kind of defense that usually really fucks Justin Fields up. They True. play a lot of zone, and they—they they have a stout defensive line. Um, and, you know, watching the game live, at, at first I really felt like, oh, the Bears' offensive line played really well, actually. They did a great job against that commander's defensive line and stuff like that. But actually, if you go, if you look at it, look at the statistics today, um, PFF, Pro Football Focus, had fields down for 17 pressured dropbacks and 16 where he was kept clean. I mean, they, they pressured him more often then he was kept clean, uh, especially in the second half. I mean, he, he had five passes that he had to throw away. Um, he had two that were batted at the line. I mean, th- that defensive line did do work. I, at first, it almost felt like they weren't. Um, but it was really just, I think, Justin was taking advantage of the plays where he was kept clean. And he was also being smart about getting rid of the football. Um, and he did He did get sacked three times, but he only lost nine yards in the three sacks. Two of them, I felt like, especially were more like failed scrambles than they were sacks. He was almost back to the line of scrimmage anyways. Um, but he... It's just... The, the type... It's not just about what the stat sheet says. Um, because I, I pissed off a lot of people... During the Mitch Trubisky era, I was such a shit. I was I was always a pessimist. Um, 
And I was always the guy, because he would have these big games, usually against the Detroit Lions. One of them was against uh, a worse version of this Washington football team, um, where Mitch would have, right, as, as everyone seemed like they were just finally out on Mitch Trubisky, he'd have a couple good games on the stat sheet. Um, and I always pissed people off because I never budged after that first game against Green Bay in 2019. I never budged off my stance that Mitch Trubisky just wasn't the guy, wasn't going to be a guy, wasn't good, didn't matter. He did have a couple box score games in there because the process never looked different. The player never looked different. Sometimes the results were just different. Justin Fields, these last two games, and, and I don't know if he'll keep it up. I hope he does. The process has looked different. The ball is coming out when it needs to come out. He is not turning bad plays into worse plays. He he could have been sacked nine times last night. I think last year he would have been sacked nine times. Against that same Washington team last year, against that same front, he was sacked six times and took a hell of a lot more hits. Um, but last night he got rid of the football when he was supposed to. The ball came out when it was supposed to. It wasn't perfect. There were a couple throws that he did just flat out miss. Um, but there were some others that were just, I mean, he had three big time throws. Two, according to PFF, I mean, there were some throws that were just the Justin Fields that you that you dream on. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's super encouraging from Justin Fields. He he's off the mat. I don't know. I think you and I both agree it's gonna it's still gonna take more and more of this before we are fully where we were even a month ago on the kid. But it feels good though, doesn't it, to just talk about this? Yeah, I mean. Um... To your point, I don't think we were ever out on the talent of Justin Fields. It's always like that he can make the throws. He never really stopped making those throws when he threw the ball. It was, why aren't you throwing the ball? Why aren't you finding the open guy? You know, it was, it was the process. It had nothing to do with where he's placing the ball. It had nothing to do with how hard he threw it. It was, why aren't you seeing what's going on on the offense? And I think that's the thing that I want to talk about. When you said there were three people on the hot seat, I did not think the third was Justin Fields. I thought the third was Luke Getze. And you well, know who saved his I, job over the last couple games. He has absolutely well, saved his job. Well, the problem with Luke Getze is he hasn't saved his job because if Matt Eberflute, if Matt Eberflute gets canned, Luke Getze's getting canned with him. So I guess I was just kind of folding Luke Getze under the Matt Eberflus umbrella. If I think it would be perfectly reasonable right now to fire Eberflus, right? I'd like that. I mean, what... What would his argument be to stay on yeah. Getsy? I think losing Getsy right now would be bad because what we've seen these last couple of days, to me, has been more an offensive coordinator and a quarterback finally getting on the same page. Well, I mean, to, it sounded stupid at the time. It did. Getsy kept saying, he was like, look, I know it looks bad, but if you were looking at the same tape we did, if you there were like five plays in this game that should have been explosive pass plays and one little thing... Yep. Went wrong. There were t- there were five play ball, and it just it felt every offensive coordinator says shit like that to defend themselves. I mean, but these last these about. last two weeks, it's like, well, I mean, and Justin's doing what we we just kept saying, like just just make the throw yeah. when it's there. I am not asking you to perform miracles. I I will I, if if there is truly a game where everybody is blanketed and you're under pressure, and the best you can do is check it down or run it, that's, that happens. That happens even to the very best of QBs. 
And there have been games where Justin Fields has thrown for 120 yards, and I thought he played as well as he could possibly play. Uh, like the Eagles game last year, I think he had like 120. And I was like, there was not, there is not a quarterback on earth given that offensive supporting cast versus that opponent who could have done better than that. That was a fantastic 150-yard effort. But there were some games earlier this year where, I mean, he had 200 and... 20 yards passing, but you'd be like, dude, he should have had 300. He he turned it down. Right. And he's not turning it. He did, I have not seen him the last two games turn yep. down a throw. And that's what we just said. Like, you got to just, you know, they're, 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 there's always too much. Fuck it, DJ down there somewhere. That That's always an option you could veer into. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to go full Cutler. You don't want to go full Grossman. But, like, he needed a little bit of that. Like I said, when we... When the Bears first got DJ Moore, my big fear was that it was going to look like when Brandon Marshall first arrived. And Jay Cutler, uh, oh my God, there's a really funny story. If people haven't heard this story, they should look it up. It's on YouTube where uh, they're talking to Devin Hester about Jay Cutler. And he's talking about how, you know, Jay was the best quarterback he played with in terms of accuracy, arm strength, etc. But the worst leader he ever played with, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody here. But he was telling a story about how... Uh, he and Brandon Marshall, Jay and Brandon Marshall were having a fight before the game, uh, before a game, and Brandon Marshall told Jay, like, I made you, you wouldn't be shit without me. And Devin Hester turned to Julius Peppers and said, I, I tell you what, he's going to throw every single pass to Brandon Marshall. I will pay you, you will owe me $20 every single pass he throws to Brandon Marshall or whatever. And he said they called off the bet because literally there were 21 straight pass attempts that went to Brandon Marshall. Um, And that was in the 2012 Bears offense just completely stagnated because of that. And that was what I was afraid might happen with Fields and DJ Moore, where it's like, I've got this new toy and I'm going to stare him down on every play. Kind of like Mitch used to do with Allen Robinson. Like, you know, he didn't really read things out. He read Allen Robinson. Um, But the first couple games... You could tell Fields was almost pressing too hard not to do that. Like he was like, you could you could, I mean with Justin, you sometimes you can just you can see what the guy is thinking because he's always thinking. He's thinking too damn much a lot of the time. And you could tell him thinking like, no, gotta be a quarterback, gotta do the full field read. Don't just stare at DJ. Do this, do that. And the last couple games, it's been like, you know what? Fuck it, I am gonna look at DJ first because he's probably open. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think watching this game, like I, I've never had a question about like Justin's ball placement, Justin's ability to get the ball out to uh, or to hit the open man, you know. And he had some beautiful passes in this game, but it's almost old hat to me at this point. That first touchdown to DJ Moore was in between three people on the line, just straight to him. Um, oh, was final that, that was his best throw of the night. Yeah, the final touch to DJ Moore on the live broadcast almost looked like a bad pass. It was like, oh, that was that yeah, was you, scary. Well, there were two. There were two. Both, both, both of them. Both of the ones where DJ Moore caught it and then got a whole bunch of yak down the sideline. The one that we thought should have been a touchdown yeah. but was maybe ruled prematurely out of bounds, and then the one that actually became a touchdown. Both of them for like point two seconds, you were like, oh shit, he's about to get picked. But no, they were perfect, and they were the kinds of throws you have to make big, tough-as-nails, third-down throws, and both times he put the ball right where you're supposed to, on the outside shoulder, where it's hard for the DB to... On the inside shoulder, those balls might be picked. But that's the difference between a bad pass and a, and a great pass, is he put it right where 
he was expecting those corners to jump those routes, clearly. And he, he was, put yeah. A perfect spot to, to capitalize on it, and DJ ended up getting, like, 50 yards a yak and then 50 more yeah. yards a yak. And, I mean, um, and, and you got to give most of the credit to DJ on, on that yak there, but still, when you put it on that outside shoulder, you're leading the guy where he can turn around and get that yak. You are, you're, yeah. you're giving it, he doesn't have to slow up for the ball. I mean, those were, they were, they were fantastic throws. There, there's yeah, a lot of heat. Shrutsky, he hits that guy, right? But it's, it's going right into his stomach and it's probably going to get intercepted. And that's the difference. Um, but yeah, Justin has always had that in him. He's always had great ball placement. It's part of the reason we love him because I, we've never had a quarterback with that ability. If they could just get it to the receiver, we were happy, you know. Um, but I really, I really don't want to undersell Getzy on this one. He had some creative run designs in this game, especially out of the shotgun. Um, it's too bad all our goddamn running backs got hurt because they were having a field day um, against yeah. a good defense. Um, I mean, but- shit, they actually got Blossom Game had a couple good runs. <laughs> yeah, he they did. were clearing holes for Blossom Game. The, uh, but the passing game also, there was a plan. We, when he started to go after DJ and DJ got those big plays, Getsy started calling plays that used DJ completely as a decoy. He would run DJ up the field and he would rip a safety in a corner with him. That was the big long play over the middle to commit. Uh, the, there should have been a touchdown to Darnell Mooney. He had to step on a guy because DJ undercut the route. Everybody went up. And now Darnell Mooney is free. That was pass interference. We, it was pass I, interference. I also still think DJ refs not calling pass interference that whole game, but uh, it should have been a touchdown. And I yeah, mean, it's, seeing that from Getsy, seeing him say, DJ Moore is on the loose, so they're going to look at him. We're going to use that against him. Then we can go back to DJ. I haven't seen that from him yet. Well, I'm we, really excited. And we've been getting what we want in the run game. The, the motion, the, the run design makes sense. The QB run is it, design run is heavily featured. It's just such yeah. a, a you, everything is making sense. Yes, now the, we're great. I'm not Luke Getzey has not been perfect because I will say this: that fucking sprint left option on third down. The, he's run that I think five times this year. It's never worked. Just yeah. toss that one. I don't love on third and short or whatever. I don't love narrowing Justin down to just half the field and just a single read when he's Justin Fields, man. We saw... the, the and This is the thing about Justin Fields. Even if this... Let's say he doesn't keep this up. Let, let's say this is somehow his last season in Chicago. Let's say he's not really the answer of the same. I still want to thank Justin Fields for being an incredibly fun football player to watch. And I don't ever want to take for granted some of the shit that he does because there was that second and six snap and oh my god Cody Whitehair when he was forced to go back to center he did the it. high snaps were such a problem or the low snaps I mean they're bad the snaps were bad but there was that one one there was that one snap that damn near went over Justin's head and without breaking he gathers it in with one hand and without break without even with perfect fluidity he's already sprinting towards the line of script. He turns it into a he turns it into a fucking first down. With most quarterbacks, that's a sack. That's going to be third and 13 right there. I it's mean, just right there. That's, that's probably a fumble like it was the week before yeah. against Denver. Yeah. And he just he just grabs it and he, without even he makes it look like it was a goddamn design play how quickly he's picking. That's special. You you don't see that a lot. We have almost gotten used to it. 
because he's done it so much, but, like, that is... That's a cool fucking thing to see. Like, I want that guy to succeed because I want to keep watching that guy because, holy shit, when he's on, he's good television. He is damn good television. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, his last two games have been fun to watch. I know the Bears ended up losing to Denver, um... And they probably should have fired Eberflus after that game and just like Etsy take over, I guess. Uh, but he's he's still here. Um, but yeah, it's just been fun. It's been fun these last two games. The first three games were not fun. They were not enjoyable. Nothing was going right for this team, and that's why you know we basically buried the entire team. Do I think the Bears are going to make a big Lions esque turnaround? Absolutely not. This defense is awful. Um, it's so bad. I'm lucky at the end of the game that this was not 30-27, to 27, and oh shit, Justin's got the ball only up three, and here we go again. Um, so, no, I, I don't think the Bears are going to make a big turnaround, but man, if Justin yeah, I mean, can keep this up against, uh, and we've got some bad defenses coming up. We've got the Vikings, we've got the Raiders, we've got the Chargers, good offense, terrible defense. Um, they're in a very similar situation to us. They just really need to get rid of their damn head coach. Um but, yeah, I mean, if he can keep this up, if he can do it consistently. I've seen yeah. guys put two games together before. You know, I'm not going to have too much optimism after this. But, damn, uh, it was nice to watch a couple of games where I got to have a good time on a I Sunday. I mean, you know? okay, as of this moment in time, and do I think this is going to last through Sunday when those games are the – but as of this moment in time, Justin Fields, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears – leads the NFL in touchdown passes. Has that ever happened entering week five for any part of week five in our entire lives? I have to think the only time that that's probably ever been close was maybe Gross, because Grossman did win player of the month in September of 2006. Through a lot of touchdowns there. That first month was, that first month was there. So, I mean, just... There are going to be worse days ahead. Maybe this ends up meaning nothing, but holy shit, guys! Just take it, take it when it's there. Take the, take the brief glimpse of hope. Um, yes, let's take the good. Games. Take the watchable fucking football. Just take the watchable fucking football. I just, you know, just enjoy it for now. Justin Fields currently, right now, the twelfth highest graded quarterback. By Pro Football Focus, he like I said, tied for the lead. Currently on pace for almost four thousand passing yards, almost forty passing touchdowns. I will he keep it up? I don't know. I really don't. But like hell, yeah. There's a reason to tune in to watch now in there. You want to see if he can keep this up, don't you? Yeah. So yeah, I, and, and like I said, it's it's more even against the Broncos. Even against the Broncos, when when that defense is bad. I thought the kid's confidence was so badly broken. I didn't even expect him to move the ball against the Broncos because it didn't. It didn't matter if there were guys who were going to be wide ass open. He wasn't seeing them, or when he was, he wasn't throwing it. So for him to have this two game turnaround to throw it with confidence to zip that damn thing in there is encouraging. It might mean that they didn't break him permanently. He's shown remarkable resilience. Also, it might just mean that, holy shit, Chase Claypool is the greatest yep. break pad on an NFL offense we've ever seen. You mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier that sometimes it seemed like Justin was thinking about the plan beyond the plan, right? And part of that is get guys who, if you don't get them involved early, are going to check out for the rest of the game involved early, right? 
And so sometimes you'd see him out there like, better get the ball to chase. Because if I don't get the ball to chase on this drive, that dude isn't going to play. And he's going to be a negative the rest of the way. Maybe that factored into it. But, oh, my God. Talk about addition by subtraction. The second this guy isn't on the field, the Bears' offense uh, is like the the fucking Dolphins out here just ripping people to shreds. Uh, Could this possibly... Could Chase have possibly been holding us back this much? Or was it just, was this the moment where the team finally started to respect the coaching staff? And being like, yeah, they finally kicked this asshole out of the locker room. We're finally done with him. Is this a rallying moment for the team? Like, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, addition by subtraction is so overrated in sports. But I mean, like... Is there something to the fact that the Steelers went, what, 7-2 and two after getting rid of Chase last year? Yeah. Um, not this year, because Kenny Pickett sucks, and I tried to tell you all. Um, oh, we'll get to that later for sure. <laughs> and here's the, the Bears were 3-5 and five before Chase last year, and 0-11 with him, and then they were 0-2... Or 0-3 with him this year and 1-1 and and without him. So, I don't know. Maybe it, it really is just the greatest addition by Spring. We'll have to see. Can he can he tank the otherwise unstoppable Miami Dolphins offense now? That will be the ultimate test of his ability. And, I mean, like I said, we don't... We, we, are, we are very pro-labor guys. You will very rarely find us taking the side of an org or a coaches who are anonymously slandering a player's effort or whatever. Um, We both really wanted the Bears to draft George Pickens, for example, and we were really tired of the vague, unreported character issue shit that supposedly kept them from drafting him Um, instead of Jaquan Brisker, who I guess shows good character by running his mouth and getting hurt every other week. Uh, But... Chase Claypool didn't... He was not anonymously slandered. If anything, from what I've heard, the Bears really held off on anonymously slandering him to the extent that they could have. I have heard there are stories. Um, but he just put it on tape. That man put... the That effort against Green Bay in week one is still the worst yeah. fucking... I've never seen a player... I don't know. Ever, I don't know that I've seen anything effort worse than I have since when the Bears offensive line was deliberately letting Cade McNown get sacked because they hated him so much. Like, but it was just, inc- I mean, if if I was, if I found out that Chase Claypool had ever placed any bets on NFL games, it would have made more sense for why that effort was as dodgy as it was in week one. So uh, I'm not surprised, and I, and I do feel like, I don't feel like the only reason the offense is clicking is because they get rid of him, but I do think there was certainly an effort in those first three games to get him. He had almost as many targets as DJ Moore through the first three weeks. There was clearly an effort yes. to keep to keep him happy by force-feeding him targets. There was clearly an effort to justify the trade for him by force-feeding him targets, and it was grinding the offense to a halt because he's just not good enough, and he doesn't try hard enough. And it was fucking. It was clearly fucking with Justin to have to include him in the progression to try to be like, well, I know they want me to throw to Chase. This look is for Chase. This play is for Chase. So it it, it does seem like it makes a difference. 
Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is you're adding Equinemius St. Brown back, and yeah, you're not going to have a receiver who's open, right? But you are going to have a blocking receiver. And suddenly, we see what Justin had like 11 carries in this game, right? And that's partly because you have a guy who can at least do something. He has one exemplary skill, a blocking wide receiver, and Justin can get behind that guy. He can gain some yards. Our running backs had a fantastic game, um, again, against a good defense. Um and yeah, so, I mean, addition by subtraction, and then at least you, you get a guy in there who can do something. Um, well, and speaking of run blocking, let's herald the return of a guy that... Now, we have been we've been kind of hard on him on this podcast, not because we don't believe in the talent so much as we have struggled with the availability. Um, yeah, the exact opposite, yeah. <laughs> and, and the availability, I mean, it's, I mean for, it's still a concern, but, God, was there... A, a more obvious difference that on the drives where Ch- where Tevin Jenkins was playing and the drives where he was not. Could you imagine? The disparity was so clear. In football, it's usually so hard to pick yeah. up in real time what's happening. But every time they were they had a drive and they ran the ball for like negative two yards, you'd be like, oh, okay, Tevin's not in. And then the next drive, Cole Herbert is just running up the middle for 12 yards on third and seven. And you're like, oh, there's Tev. Because, I mean, the guy really is just an elite mauler in the run game. Just, he, he, the the talent there is unquestionable. You, God, you'd love him to stay healthy and put it together. You really would. Because the the difference is night and day. I kind of wonder, given the Cody snapping issue and given the Cody uh, blocking issue, really just all of Cody's, Cody's got some issues right now. Yeah. Uh, if maybe after this mini buy, we might see if they give uh, Feeney a try at center, just to see if they can get a little bit more push in the run game from that interior, and then if so, if we see if we see uh, Borum, Tevin, Feeney, Davis, Darnell Wright as the the offensive line going forward, um, that's something I'm curious about. I don't know if we'll ever see Braxton again this year. I really hope so. It would be good to evaluate. If we have our left tackle of the future there still, um, but yeah, I, I, Cody Whitehair, he's had a great career. I, always seemed like a good dude. Don't I don't want to be too harsh on him, but I I think the evidence there is just strongly he's washed, guys. He's he's done. The whole move him to center thing is not saving him. He just there's nothing he's doing. And, and at center, he's a he's not good at snapping the ball. So it's just it's not good there. That's not a good situation with Cody Whitehair. He was before with snaps and you know, you might say, well, it's two bad snaps a game. Well, it's three bad snaps a game. Those snaps turn into disasters very quickly. They go from us having a good drive to a fumble recovery going the other way. Gross. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, uh, they, uh, they, they, I muted, to- I muted the mic while I blew my nose and you still said <laughs> gross, sir. Giant the audience didn't have to know that I was snotting it up until you, you son of a bitch, how dare you? I'm muting again for the benefit of our loyal fans. I, I'm not feeling great today either, man. I got I got them, them COVID vaccine chase. But yeah, I mean, those plays can destroy a game. It almost happened in this game. It almost went over Justin's head, and like a basketball player, he knocks it to himself and gets a first down out of it, you know? But there were multiple other bad stamps. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone's oh. noticed, but the uh, the margin for error for this team is not very high. So you can weird. bet... You can bet your sweet ass that one bad snap over the quarterback's head could absolutely be the difference between winning and losing 
for this yeah. team. So they got they got to figure wanna, something out there. I I do I do want to talk about Tevman because when Patrick was yeah, out, let's do it. Let's I was like I was like, is Feeney gonna come out of the game? Like, what are we gonna see out here? Feeney! Kevin Jenkins. I had not been keeping up with this news. Apparently, you knew this. Fucking Tevin Jenkins walks out like a ghost, and I was like, Kevin <laughs> Jenkins is healthy. Why was Lucas Why he started? there to begin with? What well, they were the they were trying to keep him on a. They were trying to keep him on a snap count, which is smart. You got a guy coming back from a soft tissue injury on a short oh. week. You know, I, but never, like you said, Kyle, never has there been a, a more stark difference in the it's... quality of blocking than there was when Tev came in for Jatiri Carter. On the, when we had to have Borum and Carter on the left side, those were the terrible drives in the game. That was what happened when we came out after halftime. Because it's Carter and Borum on the left side. And I'm sorry, man, the, the line is broken at that point. You've got Whitehair at center with Nate Davis playing as well as he was last night, which was crazy. Um, and Tevin Jenkins, Whitehair, Whitehair, they can actually, hold I'm, him up. I'm actually glad you said something about Nate Davis. Because to be clear, he has been, in my opinion, more good than bad the last two games. So if yes, he's got yes, he has. He's gotten his head in the game now, and of course, I mean, he had a death in the family, death of someone who was close to him. So, I mean, I really don't yeah. want to totally understand a guy, matters, right? To an extent, yeah, totally understand a guy not that. being there. But as he's gotten, yeah, as he's gotten, and I really think him and Darnell Wright, when they get ahead of steam on them in the run yeah. game, they—that's a good pair. It is. It, it's promising there. So, I mean, Nate good, Davis, it, I thought. Yeah. Our right side is probably the best pass-blocking side. I mean, probably. It definitely is the best pass-blocking side right now. But, man, there was a pull on a couple of those plays blocking for Herbert where Davis and Whitehair got out fast, and yeah. Herbert was almost gone, you know? Yeah. Um, and so Speaking... just incredible to be pleased with the offensive line. Not Larry Borum, but the other guys on the line. That was Speaking, cool. of, speaking of Herbert uh, last night, as an Iowa fan, Travis, did you feel at home – <laughs> with the Bears being down three running backs in one game and having to hand off to the fullback, did that did that just feel uh, right to you? And knowing like, that um, one of my favorite running backs in the league last year was inactive, Deontay Foreman just kind of sitting there yeah. in street clothes, not able to play. Yeah, that was that was hard. But bless again, I, he did a fantastic job trying to drain the clock at the end of the game. He did, I, I mean, way more than he ever expected to be. Absolutely. Active. Oh, and he was, you could tell he was, you could tell he was excited about that. Yeah. That guy probably hasn't carried the football consistently since, like, high school. I mean, he was running with a full, he was like, he was like, this is the blossom game, motherfuckers. Welcome to the show. He was ready. We, we love to see a fullback thriving, uh, no I mean, doubt about that. Because, and I mean, I assumed <laughs> Roshan got the concussion on the big hit where he, like, did a Yeah, he got locked. In the air, but he played a couple plays after that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the Watch NFL. They're never, they're never going to immediately identify and take care of a concussion. Let's be real. Uh, yeah. But too bad for him because he was playing well. Herbert was he playing was, fantastic. You know, the good news is, I, I think, with the with them now having the mini buy, the ten days of rest, almost, and with the fact that Herbert actually did go back into the game briefly, unsuccessfully, but briefly. Yeah, I would hope by the next time they they play, we'll we'll have. Uh, Rashawn, you know, that's that's almost that's hopefully enough time to clear concussion protocol, but that's always tricky. Hopefully they'll have Roshan back. Hopefully they'll have Cool Herbert back. Obviously, I would expect Dante Foreman to be active next time. Yeah. Uh, they'll definitely want him going out there. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't think hopefully that's a long-term problem in terms of running back depth. But, yeah, it really – it made that game a little bit more uncomfortable than it needed to be last night because they – if they had been able to – if they had Khalil Herbert and Roshan, I think they, they break off some long runs and ice that game probably about 10 full minutes earlier than they actually did. But, obviously, once those backs went down, uh, Washington knew, like, hey, either Justin Fields is keeping the ball or – as a runner or he's throwing the ball as a passer but either way it is open season on Justin Fields and you saw the pressure and the intensity dial up a little bit there late in the game you saw Justin have to and I thought like I said I thought he did a great job um of knowing when to throw the ball away which as we all know has not been his strong suit but it sucked on those couple drives there it really sucked how often he was that was the best he could do was throw the damn ball away um because they were they were pinning their ears back and they were getting after him um yeah, we talked about we, we talked about Tev. Uh, should we talk about Darnell Wright? Because we you you made an observation about Darnell um, that I think is super accurate, and it also explains it pairs in really nicely to one of my arguments that, that one of the arguments I had for spending that ninth overall, tenth overall pick on an offensive tackle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Darnell. Obviously, we both love Darnell, um, and I've been kind of updating you on his stats throughout the week because what he has done in almost every game, in four of the five games so far, is within the first ten offensive snaps, he gives up such an egregious sack that you're just like, oh, Darnell. Oh, oh my god. And it's just like, it's not a uh, a talent thing, you could tell. He, It's just like his brain short circuits for a full second, and somebody gets right past him. Uh, in this well, game and- with Montez Sweat, he just hopped to the left, and I, I wonder if Darnell was just like, can, can you hop like that? And he just yeah. stopped. Yeah, I mean, every now and then it's every now you can tell it's there. There are uh, it's a series of welcome to the NFL moments because yeah. it's either you can tell he either forgot he, he missed he messed up his assignment or he is still realizing like oh holy shit these guys are really fast you do not have time to try that particular move because um, yeah. I think that's what happened on the fourth and one play. Not it wasn't a pass pro rep, but I think it's what happened on the fourth and one play against Denver. Too, where he, yep. it was his guy, his line, because he, he helped commit, and then he should have pulled off and blocked the guy who eventually made the tackle. And I think he did it at a pace that in college, he still would have had time to spin around and stop that linebacker. And you could tell him, look at it like, oh, shit, at this level, that linebacker is fast, isn't he? So I, he's, he learns, but this was, that was part of my argument for drafting a tackle, because people said, well, rookie tackles are often bad anyways. And I was like, they are, but the kind of bad that they are matters to me. Because like, if you have Larry Borum as your right tackle, let's say the Bears, let's say Braxton Jones is healthy, he's at left tackle, but the Bears don't draft Darnell Wright, and they're, they draft Jalen Carter, which would be fun on that side of the ball, certainly. Mm-hmm. But, they, but you know, we're starting Larry Borum at right tackle. And Larry Borum is, he's a quality, well, last night wasn't quality, but Larry Borum is a swing tackle. I don't think he's the worst swing tackle in the world. He's a swing tackle. And he's the kind of guy who, in general, won't absolutely embarrass you, but he's also not going to do anything special, ever. And and, And that guy, that kind of player, might grade out overall with a higher grade than a guy like Darnell because he's got fewer clear negatives. But the thing is that, on yeah, there might be two or three snaps a game that Darnell as a rookie just completely fucks up, completely botches. Those other 58 snaps, though, 
he's showing you why he was the 10th overall pick. He's showing you what he can do with that frame and that speed and that athleticism. He absolutely raises the ceiling of your offense with the shit that he is doing on the good snaps in a way that, you know, maybe a more average tackle who has fewer big mistakes wouldn't do because, you know, he's not pushing guys in the run game. He's not moving the pile like that. He's not swinging out, you know. So we're seeing Darnell, there's a couple of hiccups every game, but on a down-to-down basis, you are seeing elite tackle skills. I mean, that guy, I am confident, and I'm. this is not me being a Bears homer. I think if you, God, if you've listened to this podcast, I think you can give us a little credit. We are not blind Bears homers. Uh, I'm usually extremely hard on Bears draft picks and assume they're going to suck. This is the earliest that since Roquan that I have been confident that, like, okay, this one's a keeper. They didn't fuck this one up. This is a 10-year starter right here. Yeah, I think with um, with Darnell, um, you said something along the lines, basically, like, if you look at every 50 snaps that Darnell takes, he's going to have one horrible-looking sack. He's going to have, like, two pressures in there. And then the other 47 snaps are he's going to be, you know, he's going to eliminate that side of the field, pass blocking. It's just... Well, there's Darnell run game. There's no issue with Darnell, right? Um, the concerns that there were in the draft have not panned out at this point, um, except for, yeah, that one bad missed block, that brain fart against Denver there, where, frankly, Khalil Herbert probably would have run for a touchdown. Um, but all of those quality snaps on the right side, especially next to Nate Davis, um, playing the way he has the last couple of games, it's made the right side of this offensive line a strength of this team. Um which is great because that's where we want Justin rolling out. Um, and it's really, it's really lifted everybody to actually have uh, a position of strength on the offensive line. So it's nice to see your first-round draft pick succeeding. Um, and, yeah, I mean, even despite those egregious sacks, and he's, had, he's given up four now, he's given up one a game, um, which isn't good. You don't, like, we don't want him giving up 16 sacks in a year. That's bad. Yeah. He still has a PFF grade. Uh, of hovering around 66. He's still a good yeah. right tackle despite giving up almost one sack. I mean, it's, and that's because every other snap is quality. Yeah, and when he, when he's good, he's great. And, and, and the mistakes he makes, like I said, you can really – there have been very few, almost none, where, where a guy just – a couple snaps week one where Rashawn Gary just was like, yeah. okay, welcome to the league, son. Um, but Rashawn Gary's a beast. Uh and he does that to elite tackles too, but there have been very few plays overall where it's like something physical, where you where you worry like, oh, maybe he doesn't have a good enough anchor, maybe he doesn't have good enough hands. They have all looked like, yep, you can't do that at this level, or yep, you don't have that much time at this. And you'll learn, you'll figure it out, or or just you straight up blocked the wrong guy, and and you see him look around like, oh shit, that was my guy. And those things should hopefully get better with time. They are the kind of mistakes. That that look fixable, that look correctable, that you learn with experience. There's nothing to, that I have seen that concerned me long ter- that concerns me long term. And there is a lot of stuff that I'm very excited about. It's really a shame Braxton Jones is injured because with Tev back, yeah, the foundation and with Nate Davis coming along with Darnell, the foundations of a good a good offensive line were actually were there. So. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get to see them all play together at some point this season still. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about another rookie? Uh, you know what? I sure will let you. Yeah. 
It's been a long time since we scored. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Hit me with it. Oh, it feels good. He... It feels good. Kyle. Kyle. We're back. With them pressure stats. We are swerving. We have we are swerving like we've never swerved before. Our boy was swerving into the Washington backfield. Jervin Dexter last night, folks. He had six pressures on thirty pass rushes. That's a pass rush win rate of over twenty percent. Well, that that you know what I mean. It's twenty percent. That's outstanding for an interior defensive tackle. He really. He is starting to flash a little bit. The, the, the get-off is still not quite what you want. He still gets a little high sometimes. Um, but the last couple games, he has started to flash a little bit. His, his PFF grade is now into the above, into the 60s. His pass rush grade is almost 70. Um, he's certainly showing a lot more than Justin Jones is. But, yeah, I mean, he, he has... Yeah, dear God. Yeah, so he had six pressures last night. He had two quarterback hits. Um, he's he's really starting to come along. And, again, the, the get-off's not there. He's still not winning right at the step, but he is so strong. He, he's really pushing dudes back. So there's a little hope there. If you want to point to the young players, some young players, Jervin Dexter played really well last night. Uh, Terrell Smith played really well. Last night, Tyreek was still a bit uneven, um, and I don't know that this is the career for Zach Pickens. Um, yeah. Zach Pickens is a bit of a non-entity right now, that's for there's sure. There's nothing I've seen, nothing, not one goddamn snap I've seen yeah. in five games to make me feel any kind of good about Zach Pickens. I think they may have just lit the 64th overall pick on fire the way they lit the 32nd overall pick on fire we, for we Chase Claypool. We spent so long arguing, like, should we have taken a center at that spot? Isn't that the spot where you take the center? Isn't this where you get the guard? Osiris Torrance, who is the guy who uh, I was talking about, and we were like, well, does he fit in the system? He He's probably the best rookie offensive lineman out there right now, um, which, which isn't surprising given his profile, but he was there. He, we, we had linemen available, and instead we took Zach Pickens, and he has... Uh, I was actually trying to find his rating on PFF, and they were like, who the fuck is that? So that's where Zach Pickens uh, is right now uh, in his NFL career. And he was always going to take longer than Jervon, because Jervon had um, a solid skill set already. He was already a good run stopper in college, right? You were, we were never going to be able to take that away from him. He's great against the run. So I figured he was going to flash a bit more early. I did not expect Zach to be just as ineffective as Justin Jones here. Um, the one thing so, I'll say about the defense, um, the way that they were rotating guys in and out, I thought we might see more billings with Jervon, Jervon replacing Justin Jones. That is not what happened. Whenever Jervon was in, Zach was next to him, or Jervon replaced billings, and then it was yeah, Jones I don't or Walker. I'd like, to, I'd like to see some snaps where it's Jervon next where it's driven next to Billings because Billings, yeah, we haven't talked a lot about Billings since the season started, but that guy is legit. That I hope, I hope that extension is coming fairly. I mean, if he keeps it up for three or four more weeks, I would be having an in-season extension talk with him because that is that's a that guy's a find. Um, 
I mean, they unlocked uh, Demarcus Walker this game right next yeah. to Billings. Finally, Walker got going. He was he was flashing. He was flashing at the three. He was flashing outside. Finally, we had some movement on that defensive line. And this is not like the worst offensive line in the league with Washington. No, it's, we, it's we not. Although the guys doing something on the defensive I did, line. I did enjoy the broadcasts uh, before the game when they were talking about Sam Howell and they were like, they were talking about the Washington. Yeah. They were like, they, this team has given up the most sacks in the NFL. They have got to protect Sam Howell. Guys, yeah. Sam Howell is the <laughs> issue there. The Bears had 21 sacks in their last 22 games or some shit, and they got five last night. What does that tell you about Sam Howell? Uh, someone pointed that Nate Tice, uh, my close personal friend, um, <laughs> Uh, Nate Tyson, the athletic, mentioned last night that Sam Howell took five sacks and his sack percentage actually went down. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, that guy, I'm going to make a reference that, that, that the youth may not understand, but, but Sam Howell makes Rob Johnson look like Dan Marino. Like that, just Rob an in Johnson reference. Robo sack, as they used to call him. Um, right. Yeah, Sam is on pace to just like obliterate the record for single season sack percentage. Derek, y'all remember Derek Carr getting sacked seventy two times? Sam is long past him. He is actually. I should. I should I'm just gonna pull that up just for the hell of it. Let's see here. Sam Howell. Yeah, I mean the Bears got good consistent pressure in this game. Howell they did get rid of the ball a lot, and the problem is. Now we're seeing that all of our freaking corners are gone and one safety. We just we're down so many guys in the secondary that even with 1.5 seconds, Howell just like throw it to an open guy. Um, yeah. So Sam is currently. Oh no, his sack percentage actually did go down to 13.2 percent, which is actually. Uh, not historically bad, I don't think. Although it's quite, it's quite awful. We'll have to see if he can keep it up. But yeah, going into because he got sacked five times on fifty-one, or well, I guess fifty-six dropbacks. Um, entering last night, he was at. Let's see here. What was the sack percentage? Because that's incredible. I do. I I loved that stat so much. So. So the sack, his sack percentage, entering last night's game, spinning, spinning, spinning. I hate my internet. Never mind. Um, we'll we'll talk about it later. So, anyways, yes. But Jervon Dexter actually looked promising last night. Yep. Uh, I thought Terrell Smith looked promising. I thought Tariq up and down. Um, you did speak about all our injured DBs, though. I do think hopefully with the mini buy, um. It sounds like it sounds like Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson were both close for this game. So I would hope, you know, going up against the Vikings, they'll have almost the full complement of defensive backs that they are expecting. Eddie Jackson, Brisker, Tyreek. Um, the real question is going to be again: Can the defensive line? Can the de- was this a Sam Howell fluke, or was the defensive line starting to flash? Is it starting to come together? Up front, because they're going to need to get some pressure on Kirk Cousins in order to keep Justin Jefferson from having uh, receiving stats that would make DJ Moore's night last night look quaint. 
Um, and I mean, I want to, we, we've kind of talked about everything with the bears here. I really do want to want to say before, before we leave this with all this positive uh, business, you know, the bears did play the worst defense in the NFL. Yes. Somehow the Broncos are worse than the bears this year. They're 32. We're 31. And then we played a game near hours after Dick Buck has passed. And we were had a bunch of guys who were playing for their coaches' jobs, right? So a lot of passion out there. Um, it's possible these last two games were a fluke, and the Bears fan in me is saying, like, man, don't don't even count on it. Like, you're going to go in, you're going to play the Minnesota Vikings, and you guys are going to get trashed, and you'll be right back, uh, right back in the dumpster where you belong. Um, there's always that chance. Uh, but, man, I... Like you said, I, I really enjoyed these last four or five days um, of seeing Justin do what I know he could do, what I saw him do at Ohio State, what I've been waiting for this entire time, and just seeing some of the young guys come along. Um, it's turned what was probably one of the worst bear seasons I've seen, seemed to be doomed to be uh, just one of the worst bear seasons I'd have to witness, into, into a little bit of a, a whole well, time, right? I mean, we talked about like what our expectations were for this season. And I said, my hope was like seven and 10 or eight and nine. And I wanted to see Justin firmly establish himself as the quarterback. Um, and I wanted to see them. I wanted to see the young guys show progress throughout the year. I wanted them to identify some long-term building blocks and set themselves up so that they can really assess like those two first round picks. Where do they need to go? What do they need to be? What do we still need yeah. Um, and you'd say right now, you'd obviously, you'd still still say edge rusher or, or pass rush. Um, and they also, I mean, they have, they still are end up going to having, going to end up having the number one amount of cap space this off season. And it's a good free agent class to be looking for edge help because I mean, looking at that team last night, either one, one of sweat or chase young is going to hit free agency. The, the Washington can't keep them both. So one of them is going to hit free agency, and either one of them would make a huge addition to the Bears. You've seen a guy like Bryce Huff that we talked about this summer dominating for the Jets, likely to be a free agent. Uh, there are going to be options in free agency at edge this year that there were not in free agency in, in this last offseason. Um, yeah. So so if, if, there's, if they somehow, if, this, if they do turn this around, if there's six, seven, eight wins in there, if Justin keeps trending up like this and they can really go all in with those resources to turn next year's Bears into a true, legitimate, division-contending, deep playoff run team, that's still the best-case scenario for this year. And obviously this is not how you envisioned it starting. You'd hope they'd win. You know, Would we be despondent if they'd won against Tampa and if they'd won against Denver if we're sitting here? Or, or won against, I should say won either of those games. If they're sitting here at 2-3, and three, Instead of one and four, we just said, "Yeah, this is about you know, this is about what we expected. It's going to be, it's a young team. It's going to be uneven. You just hope that they stay around five hundred all year and they show that they're building towards something and that Justin is progressing. So that it still feels yeah, I mean, less likely than it did a month ago, but that goal is still technically possible. I mean, we'll see if he comes out slinging it again against Minnesota, against Las Vegas." If, if we see Jervin Dexter take a step forward, if we see some of these young defensive backs start to iron out. So it, it, it's still possible. Yeah, I'm still I'm still very much unconvinced. I still think the Bears are going to be oh, yeah. the number one pick. I, oh, yeah. But, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, I there there's hope left, right? There's hope now. There wasn't hope last week when we recorded this podcast. Last week we recorded this, and it was like, I don't even do I even want the Bears to take another quarterback? Do I want to see them ruin another guy? You know? And now we're thinking like. Well, shit, if Justin does well against the Vikings and the Raiders and he puts three or four and five of these games in a row, now you're thinking, like, now we don't have to use a pick on a quarterback. Now now the possibilities open up. Do we get Marvin Harrison Jr. and Fashanu? Like, if, if Braxton's just out forever, do we just – what do we do? All of a sudden the options are endless. Um, I'm trying not to be too optimistic right now, though, because I'm like, man, it's been two games. But to your point – if Darnell had hit that block and Khalil Herbert gets that touchdown against Denver and finishes that game off and we're two and three right now, I do think my mood is is more in line with yours where I'm like, man, this team, like, if we just traded for a center or something, <laughs> like, we could do something. Uh, but, yeah, as it stands, you know, I just I want to keep seeing more. I want Justin to do this consistently because we've had so many quarterbacks who have flashed and then go right back in the yeah. shitter, and we start making excuses. I mean, if we want to be, if we wanted to be pessimistic, so like if Justin can just keep playing well, all right, they're interesting. Con- and the it's if Justin keeps playing well, and the Bears as a team don't go with him, you know, if we're still looking at a scenario where Matt Eberflus is fired and stuff, I still think that's not the worst world for the Bears. I mean, yeah. that you're you're either so you're. You're looking at a new head coach, and you're either saying, like, look, here's Justin Fields coming off a good season. Um, you can either build around him. You've got two first-round picks and all this money to do it. If you're Ben Johnson and you're one of the best run game designers in the NFL, are you not a little bit intrigued by what you could do with Justin Fields in that department and two first-round picks and all that money? Or let's say you do decide to start over. If Justin Fields keeps playing like this, he has legitimate trade value there is someone who's going to be sitting outside that top 10 and outside of that quarterback draft class that that's going to say like well shit let's we'll give up a first or and then some for justin fields i mean there's the atlanta falcons yeah there's it's the falcons yeah there (laughs) you know i don't there are options there some people i think some people already like they committed themselves to the tank for caleb thing and they're like they're almost mad that justin fields has popped off because he's muddying up the picture but like fuck it muddy it up you know this is you, your third year it, we we didn't restrict this to the first four games man no. if you turn this around if you start playing like a badass the rest of the way uh let's say that there is a scenario where we go seven and ten and we're feeling great about justin and not only that the panthers are still the worst team in the league and now we have maybe the most valuable first overall pick in the last decade and we could get we could get three first round picks and players from something from the Falcons from from some team that just desperately needs Caleb Williams. Um, like there there are very hopeful scenarios here, and they yeah. all pretty much rest on Getsy yeah. and yeah. Justin Fields. Nothing continuing to do. This. N- the Bears are not going to be hurt as a franchise by Justin Fields playing like this the rest of the year, no. guys. It's gonna. No. It's if if he's a good quarterback, that's gonna work itself out somehow. And guys, so guys, don't root against the kid. We, just enjoy let's say it. We draft Caleb. Let's say we draft Caleb Williams. Guess what? You're probably gonna have to wait till year three again to see if he's that dude again. 
You know, so it's just another three years of working through the same exact process we just did with Mitch, we just did with Justin. The far better scenario here is that Justin has finally clicked. He has found an offensive coordinator who clicks with him. They are working together. They've got a top-end wide receiver, and suddenly we're on our way. That is the best-case so, scenario for us. Here's uh, – because you said we didn't restrict it to the first four games or whatever. Here's a funny – here's a funny similar situation. So Josh Allen famously broke out in year three. He came out of the gate hot against four bad teams, mostly. Uh, the Jets were not very good that year. The Dolphins were not very good that year. Rams were good. And then the Raiders were not very good. He came out hot. But then in the second month of his third year campaign, Josh Allen had four games where he completed 62% of his passes for just 211 yards per game. He had four touchdowns, four interceptions. He had a 79 passer rating. He averaged 6.5 yards per attempt. Now, because he'd already had an amazing first month, that middling four-game stretch where he was just kind of average was buried in the noise. He had overall good numbers. Nobody really noticed. Nobody really cared. They were already all in on the Josh Allen breakout. But imagine if Josh Allen had had those four mediocre games first. What would have been the narrative about Josh Allen a month into his third year if he had a 79 passer rating and a six, and six point? It would have been about where we're at with Fields. And then when he did start to play well, it still would have been eh, too little, too late, probably. There would have been a lot more hesitation. So if, if Fields just had a slow start and he starts to do this every week the way Allen did as 2020 went along, you know, you're not... It, that's a good player. It, it, it Development is not linear, and not every single player needs to hit the same benchmarks at the exact same time. He just needs to show us by the end of this year, and he's got 12 more games, he's still got a chance to show he is the guy. Hey, we're, we're talking about narratives here and how they get set in a little bit earlier, just depending on the timing of the games. How about this? Uh, there's a guy out there who this year has under 1,000 yards passing in four games. 67% completions, four touchdowns, two picks, 6.6 yards per attempt, and only 9.8 yards per catch. Does that sound good? Does that sound like a guy who should be locked in as a top-tier quarterback to you, Kyle? It, is you that know who that is? Is that Jalen? Are we talking about Jalen? That's Trevor Lawrence. Oh, that's Lawrence, yeah. No, I mean... A guy he's really... who's been locked in ahead of Justin Fields. You want to know where Justin Fields is right now. 11 touchdowns to five interceptions, 7.5 yards per attempt, 12.2 yards per catch, 95.4 QB rating. I, You know, maybe maybe we kind of kicked it, uh, 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 said that Justin kicked the bucket a little bit too early. We should have given him the whole third season. Maybe. We shouldn't have jumped on the Trevor Lawrence train because that guy has Calvin Ridley this year. He has a decent you know, wide receiver core, and he's really struggled. But yet, you don't see people saying, well, Trevor Lawrence is in trouble. You know, well, it's because he... Of how well he played. The timing year. of how well he played. And he's hit the artificial benchmarks is the thing. In year yep. two, he had 4,000 yards. He had 4,000 yards. He had 25 touchdown passes. Those are the good benchmarks. He cleared them. We put him in the books as a good quarterback. We move on. Fields okay. did not hit the artificial benchmarks. His success last year looked different than it's supposed to. Um, <clears throat> so he's always going to have doubters until he proves it. But if he puts up 4,000 yards passing, and right now he's on pace for pretty close to it, if he has a 30-touchdown pass season, that narrative changes. 
Because everyone likes to say they don't do box score scouting, but people still do. Now, I will say about box score scouting, I still think Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. I still think Trevor Lawrence looks good. I think that Jags offensive line has fallen apart, and he is getting interior pressure up his ass on every snap. But yes, arguments valid. Like I said, the same thing about Josh Allen. If he'd had his second four games in his third year, in when first, and then he'd had his first four games second, that narrative about him would have taken a lot longer to reset. The the, yes. the consensus until well near the end of his third year would have been that Josh Allen was still a bad quarterback and those four games that he had were a fluke. But if you do it right off the bat, if you do it in the first month, the narrative gets set quickly. So yeah. we're going to fight the narrative. Justin, you've got your chance, man. Yeah, the final point on this is if he, if he can just keep it up, if he keeps stacking these games, not only does that does that narrative change, it changes the entire outlook on that franchise. And, I mean, this is the way it is as a quarterback. It sucks to put it all on him. But, you know, you finally got your win, Justin. You finally went out there, and, yeah, things look pretty dire, even though it was 30 to 20 bears. You threw a fantastic pass, got a touchdown to your best wide receiver. Maybe this is the moment we turn this damn thing around. Um I, I'm excited. We got ten days. The next time we do this podcast, the Bears still won't have played uh, a football game. So we're going to talk. About- yeah, that'll be good. We're going to talk about Daniel yeah. Jones. Yeah, uh, we got, got we got so much we want to talk. Next week might just be looking around at quarterbacks around the NFL, talking about some of the rookies. How I was so right about C.J. Stroud. That's um, right. He was my QB one. I never wavered. But uh, yeah, we'll have a fun non-Bears one next week and then maybe hopefully the next time we're talking about the bears again they've you know justin's put up numbers against minnesota and and we'll we'll have the continued fields renaissance to discuss that's right yeah but all right i mean this at least this one felt good guys at least we got this one right we got something we gotta win it ain't always buckus we uh we we show yes justin does look good two games in a row all right let's 10 days of being positive about yeah let's do it Let's do it. All right. And, of course, yeah, absolutely. Rest in peace to Dick Buckus, a, a, a real legend in all the ways that, that one can be. So, go Bears. They went. They finally went. We said go, and they went. Now you know I'm leaving here.